Hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside Joel Johnson, Certified Financial Planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel is the host of Better Money on WFSB Channel 3 on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sundland, also on WCBV Channel 5 in Boston. And he's here with us today. Joel, let's start out today with a question that seems to be on everybody's mind. I hear a lot of people talking about inflation, worried about inflation. Uh, Is this something you have concerns about? And if so, what are we to do about it? Well, good question, John. And I don't, I don't know that concern is the right word. I mean, I, I'm not concerned that we're going to go into this hyperinflation mode that we were in back in, oh, what was it, when Reagan took office in 1980. So mm-hmm. that kind of the late 70s, early 80s, when we were in this hyperinflation mode and the Fed had to jack up interest rates to, to, uh, to double digits to try to slow that down. I, I don't think we're going to see that again. So I'm not concerned about that. Obviously, there's always a concern when interest rates are going up and the economy is overheating. And we don't qu- we're not quite there yet, but the Fed is really being careful to see, hey, is the economy going to take off and, and, and just overheat too much? And, you know, people say, well, why would that be a problem? Why would it be a problem if economic activity is just going through the roof? Well, if it happens too much, too quickly, what happens is, Companies have to raise their prices. There's not enough of a, a, a labor market, so there's, companies can't hire workers. Prices go up. Um, it's it's just it's not good for the economy to have the dollar worth less because what hap- what's happening when prices go up? Well, re- in reality, what's happening is the dollar is becoming worth less money. The dollar will buy less. The purchasing power of that dollar is less. So is it right to be concerned with that? We've had low inflation for a long, long time, for decades. And so it would not be abnormal for us to get back to the point where inflation sits around two and a half to four percent, maybe even the three and a half percent, four percent level. And I don't think that would be terrible for the economy. And the good news is uh, the Federal Reserve right now has learned so much on how to deal with that going back and over the last 50 years. So I'm not concerned that inflation is going to wreck the economy. I'm not concerned that we're all going to be running around in the woods with, you know, pickaxes and and, uh, bananas and bars of gold because the dollar (laughs) collapses. I'm not worried about that. But we have to keep an eye on it. We have to keep an eye on it. And the investments need to be set up in such a way where, you know, if inflation kicks in, if the dollar is going to become less or worth less over time, we've got to make sure we own assets, we own investments that are counteracting that. So the purchasing power that we have in retirement is not being reduced. And I guess I am to infer that pickaxes and bananas are not the kind of investments you want to have moving forward. No, and gold is very heavy. Have you ever lifted a bar of gold? If you think that solving the economic crisis of the world, the collapse of the world, is to walk around in the woods with gold in your backpack, uh, good luck You know, carrying that around. You're not going to get very far. So um, tents, cans of soup, that's probably what you want if the entire economy of the world collapses. Fair enough. Uh, well, so... Here's my inflation story. We have this brand of tortilla chips that we've bought for years. And I don't know what the actual brand is, uh, but on the packaging, on the bag, it's always said $2 only. That's branded on the bag. Has been for more than a decade. And I always wondered, can they ever raise the price of these chips? Because $2 only is so prominently displayed on their packaging. Well, guess what? Grocery store the other day, it now now says $2.29 only. So... (laughs) Inflation has come for the tortilla chips. There you go. So what is that? That's about a uh, 14.5% increase. Yeah, pretty significant. Uh, I think they held it off as long as they can. They probably gave us less tortilla chips for a while. 
<laughs> and then it got to the point where they just had to increase the price. <laughs> there you go. Here's a story that uh, I saw the other day. I don't know if it helps you and your business, Joel, but I have seen that uh, as marijuana becomes legal in more and more states, an increasing number of states, they're having to retire a lot of the drug-sniffing dogs because they just the, the dog can't tell the difference between an illegal amount of marijuana and the amount that's legal to be carrying, so they can no longer use the fact that the dog smelled marijuana on your person or on your belongings. They can no longer use that to establish probable cause for a search. So uh, I don't know if you've considered expanding your business. I know you work primarily with people that are retiring or about to retire. I don't know if you've considered expanding that to the dog community that's being forced into retirement. To, 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 Just something. I thought, to I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna ask if I was gonna go into the into the business of training new dogs. Um, which my wife would love. We're, she's a dog lover. I am too, but she's just a way off the charts dog lover. Yeah. But you know the whole the whole marijuana. It's a very interesting situation. The states have legalized marijuana. Marijuana. It's still illegal on the federal level. So you have this funny situation where, you know, the federal government is sort of sitting back and not really enforcing rules because the states have said we're not going to you know we're going to legalize this in certain amounts and so on so be interesting to see how this plays out i'm not advocating one way or the other but you know my guess is that you know marijuana will become like alcohol where you know it's regulated to some degree behavior is regulated you know you can get a ticket or you know get thrown in jail for driving under intoxication or or whatnot but you know i think um you know whether it's an unfortunate sign of the times or not um the you know marijuana use is here to stay it's always been there or it's been there for a long time and you know while the states sort out the laws like you said you know, at the airports, we've got these dogs that uh, that like you know have to retire. Maybe maybe we should go into retirement planning for uh, for the canines. Well, some rich people leave money to their dogs. Maybe that's another niche too. You could really focus on the canine wealth planning community. I don't know, uh, Joel. Let's take a quick question from the mailbag, and then we're going to talk about people moving the goalposts, changing their goals when it comes to financial planning. We'll do that in just a moment. But first, wanted to take this question from Louie, who says, "I'm a chiropractor." And thinking about retiring in the next five years, maybe less, I own my building, so would I be better off to sell the building and invest that cash or to try to actually sell my practice to someone else and then rent the building to them? Well, great question, Louis. You're thinking along the right lines. You really have two assets here, right? You have this piece of real estate and you have this chiropractic practice that happens to be in the piece of real estate that you own. So I think you want to first of all, separate those two out. Those are two separate businesses. You could sell the building and keep practicing, right? It's called a sale leaseback. You sell the building and simultaneously you sign a lease with the new owner that says, I'm gonna stay here for another five years and lease it back. Or you could keep the building and like you said, sell the business. And you could sell both, right? Or you could sell the business and get a new tenant, have the business move out. So there's a lot of combinations there. I think it's important that you look at the fact that you own two assets. You own this business, and it's real hard to figure out. I mean, I know in the world of chiropractic um, business, there is certain valuations that are that are recognized where if you were to sell that business to somebody else walking in, there's a client list, there's a certain amount of revenues and so on. So that's that's a value, and I'm not an expert on that value of, of the business. What I do know is I know a little bit about real estate, and the key to owning real estate is can you get a tenant in there that is gonna be stable, that can pay you a cash flow after expenses, a net profit after expenses, 
that makes that building a good investment. So if you have a building that's worth 30, if you have a building that's worth a million dollars and you're only getting a net yield out of that after expenses of $30,000 per year, that's 3%, you could probably do better in other investments and you'd certainly have liquidity and flexibility. If you own a building, on the other hand, like a friend of mine I know in Manchester, Connecticut, that uh, owns an apartment house worth about 250000 if he sold it, and it's yielding 60000 a year of gross income. Wow. He has some expenses after that, but he's netting out about 40000 a year on a $250,000 building. That's a massive rate of return. So in that case, you'd want to keep that building at all costs. So, uh, But I want you to think, Louis, about these are two separate decisions. You've got to separate these things in your mind because you could keep one, sell the other, sell both, keep both, sell one and keep the other. I've heard you say before that you're not interested yourself for your business in owning the office that you work out of because you've said, I want to be in the financial planning business, not the financial planning and the real estate business. Is that something you generally would recommend for any business owner or is that really just for you personally is how you decided to go? That's a decision I made personally. I had a good conversation with somebody I know in the area that's a that's a big land developer and building owner and he owns commercial buildings that, you know, banks lease and um, shopping centers and things like that. And he said, Joel, you know, do you want to get into my business? Because I talked about, you know, buying a building, being a tenant in the building, but also renting, renting the building out. And he said, Joel, you could do that. But then you're getting into my business, and that means now you own two businesses. You own a very successful financial planning business, and you own this real estate business, and now you're competing with me. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've got access to all kinds of capital. I can get the best deals. I can compete for the best tenants. You're competing with me. So let's, don't, don't go into that. If you want to buy buildings and lease them out, he said, Joel, don't go into that you know, thinking it's easy because it's not. It's a separate business. So at that point, when I heard this from my friend, I decided not to own our building, you know, whether it was a small standalone building that only our business occupies or whether it was a big building that has other tenants. But that was just a decision for me personally. I know a lot of accountants suggest that professionals own their own building. Uh, The more that I see professionals get towards retirement now, you know, it makes me wonder, well, gee, did they, you know, was that professional advised to buy their own building because that was the only way they're going to save money because sometimes that is the case where somebody gets to retirement the biggest asset they have is the building they conducted their business out of so this is a real individual decision and I think it depends on your business and where you want your attention to be I don't want to be in the real estate business I like freedom I like flexibility could I make money in it yeah probably um, but I I like the decision we made we where we simply rent our space uh, for our eight different locations here at Johnson Burnetti Well, I think this underscores a very important point when it comes to whether you're a business owner or not, having your retirement plan in place for yourself is you have to make the decision that's best for you. And it could be that mathematically there's an argument to be made one way or another, and you could probably capably make the case for either. Uh, But the key is you need to have a plan that works for you and your sensibilities and the lifestyle that you want to have. So Joel, in light of that, if somebody wants to figure out how they come up with that retirement plan that works for them, what do you offer to make that happen? Well, let's step back and think about this for a minute. So, you know, if you're close to retirement, or maybe if you've been just retired, think about it. You've been working on this for the last 30 or 40 years. That's the hard part, saving money, being financially responsible. You know, you worked hard to advance your career. You've raised kids and gotten them through college, paid off your debts or paid off most of your debts, saved, sacrificed, lived on less that you've earned which is a good lesson for people these days, right? You've lived on less than you've earned. 
um, with the hope that someday you could retire. And here you are. You're there. And the first thing to find out is, you know, do you have enough assets to produce the income that you want, the lifestyle that you want? Because you've already done the hard part. And a lot of people find the retirement planning process to be stressful, overwhelming. That's quite understandable, but it does not have to be that way. I'm here to tell you today that, you know, if you're on the threshold of retirement or if you've just retired, the hard part's already done. You saving the money and making the sacrifice has been the hard part. That does not mean the next phase is going to be easy right? It's not going to just take care of itself. You still need to make the right decisions and set yourself up to enjoy the retirement that you've been working hard towards for all of these years. So again, it doesn't have to be hard, but you absolutely need a plan. You need a plan to make sure you're not going to run out of money, that you can support the lifestyle that you want. You've got to have confidence in that plan. You've got to remove this feeling of, I don't know what the future is going to be like. And that's what a good financial plan is going to do. It's going to remove the fear of the future and produce confidence in you internally, real confidence in what lies ahead. So we're going to offer you this Money Map Retirement Review. You come into our office. It's absolutely complimentary. You come and figure out what do you need to do to make sure you maximize your retirement. And we'll work out all the details afterwards. The, the big thing now is just pick up the phone, call 1-800-705-1232, set up a time for a conversation. Call one 800 705 one, two, three, two. Give us a buzz. Set up a time for this conversation. You don't have to be intimidated. The hard part's already done. You've saved the money, but don't let that hard work go to waste. Come on in. Get your money map. We do that for you. It's absolutely free. It's complimentary, but it is not worthless. It's worth a lot because, again, it'll give you clarity on what lies ahead. So call us. Leave a message. We'll get back to you. We'll set up a time to get together. 1-800-705-1232. Again, that's 800-705-1232. No cost, no obligation to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. Again, 800-705-1232. You'll get a copy of one of Joel's books when you come in for that visit. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. And Joel, let's talk about moving the goalposts. We found that often people move the goalposts in their own retirement planning often to their own detriment. So let's talk about some of the ways that people are likely to change their goals and deadlines. Uh, one of those ways is how much cash do I need? It's like some people say, well, about $50,000 is how much cash I need in the bank. And then they save up a little more beyond that. And now they have 65,000 in the bank and they say, well, that seems about right. 65,000 is about how much I need to have in cash. And then it just goes on and on. They keep moving the goalpost and they end up with way too much in cash. I'm sure you've seen that happen. Yeah. And part of that happens because people don't have a plan, right? They don't have guidelines or guardrails to make sure that they don't get out of kilter or out of balance. You know, you think about going over a bridge. There's this bridge in San Diego. My, my son's in the Marine Corps out there. So there's this bridge called the Del Coronado Bridge, or the, maybe it's called the Coronado Bridge, but it's, it's right near San Diego and it goes over to this island called Coronado and it's a beautiful area. But you go over this bridge and there's these guardrails on both sides of the bridge. And what is that for? Well, you don't have to keep in the narrow lane that your car's in. You could change lanes but the guardrails prevent you from getting too far off track. And part of the advantage of having a financial plan is you can say, okay, you know, I want to have X amount in cash. Maybe I want to have $100,000 in cash. My dad always wanted $100,000 in cash in retirement. You know, did that make financial sense? No, but that made him feel good. But you can put guardrails around that, that says, well, if it gets past 120, I need to invest the money. If it gets below 80, I need to invest the money. 
or I need to I need to build that back up again. So it's okay to have a range, but you're right, John. When people don't have when they move these goalposts, when they change the measurements, and it's easy to do when we get close to the measurement, right? It's easy to say, oh, well, I said I only wanted 100,000. I got 150, but maybe I need 150. That needs to sit That needs to sit right in the middle of your financial plan, whether it's that, how much stocks to own, should you own CDs, should you own annuities, should you own real estate. All of that needs to be within the guidelines of a financial plan. And again, it doesn't have to be super rigid. You can use this guardrails concept, but you don't want to be moving the goal all the time to something that's convenient because what's convenient at the time, what feels convenient many times is the wrong thing to do when it comes to your investing in retirement. Another way that people tend to move the goalposts when it comes to their retirement planning is they say things like, well, I need to reduce my risk in my portfolio, but you know, I've made a lot of money these last few years. Let me just see if I can get a little bit more. And they keep moving the goalpost of when they're going to ratchet down their risk. Yeah. And again, we're, we're talking about the same thing here, right? That's just, there's this mushy guideline. It's not solid. And when you move those goalposts, when you move that line in the sand, the problem is now you have no standard to measure yourself by. So whether you start out by saying, hey, I'm going to have 50% of my money in the market and the other 50% not exposed to the market. And then all of a sudden, you do well one year, and now the market piece, because it did so well, is 55%, and the following year it does well, and maybe now it's 65%. The temptation there is to say, well, the market's doing so well, I'm going to leave it. I know I'm violating what I said three years ago, but I'm going to leave it. That will blow you up financially. You've got to have these guidelines, have these goalposts, and if you decide that having 50% of your money exposed to the stock market and the other 50% should be safe, stick with that. Rebalance every single year, but don't continue to change your standards. You know, nobody likes it when we have to deal with a business that changes their standards. And don't do that to yourself. Joel, for a lot of people, picking that retirement date is the goalpost that gets moved. They say, yeah, I'll probably, when they're 62, they say, I'll retire at 65. And then 65 rolls around. They're just not confident that they can retire at that age. So they just say, well, I'll work another year and then another year. And then they keep justifying it. Well, the pay is pretty good. I might as well stick around. And they just never get to the point of retiring until you know, their health gets so bad or their spouse has nagged them so much to finally retire. I know you've seen that happen. Yeah, we see this all the time. And, you know, a couple will make a decision. Okay, we're going to retire in January of, you know, let's say it's 2019. They had decided this, you know, they were sitting here in our office in 2015. They said, we are absolutely going to retire in January of 2019. That date gets close and all of a sudden they start moving it back. And usually it's one spouse that starts moving it back and the other one is slowly getting irritated because this promise that they had with each other is not happening. And you know, it happens for a number of different reasons. Sometimes they're emotional reasons. Sometimes somebody's worth is tied up in their work and so they don't know what they're going to do. Um, other times maybe they just feel financially insecure. They can't believe they've gotten to retirement and they're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So there's a number of different reasons. But again, you've got to have a plan that you try to stick with. And it doesn't mean it has to be rigid. You know, maybe you say, I'm going to retire in the year 2025 and you move it to 2026, but you've got to look at your reasons for that. Why are you moving that retirement date? You know, is it because of fear of finances in the future? Then a good financial plan will help you understand that you've saved enough money if you have saved enough money. Is it because you don't know what you would do with your time? Well, that's another issue that has to be walked through. And sometimes we help people walk through those issues. Sometimes they need to figure that on their own or, or with their significant other. So again, I, I think the theme here is if your standards are changing, 
if your goals are changing, if the, quote, goalposts are being moved, we've got to figure out why, because sooner or later, that will hurt you in retirement. You mentioned one thing there that I think is really interesting in terms of the reason that people put off retiring. And it's not even a financial concern. It's just people have their identity and their identity is so tied up in their career that it's hard for them to walk away. How, if at all, does the financial planning process help sort of alleviate that issue? Well, again, many times, uh, let's just take Wendy and I for an example. Okay, So we've been married for 30. June 20th is 30, oh my goodness, 34 years. I, I almost got, I almost said 33, wouldn't I be in trouble? So, you know, obviously there are differences in the ways that we approach things and the ways that we approach market risk and the ways that, you know, one of us needs everything all planned out, needs all the bases covered before a decision is made. The other needs to get kind of about 80% of the information and then they make the decision. So there's, there's these differences and a good financial advisor will first of all, appreciate and listen to both the perspectives of of each partner. Secondly, we'll act as a mediator, and I don't want to say as a psychologist or a therapist, but as a mediator as a mediator validating each side and then trying to come up with a plan that satisfies the personalities of both sides of that marriage or both sides of that partnership. And that's really, really important. This is why you see some financial planners that are nothing more than stockbrokers. They just pick investments. Other financial planners understand that this is not just analytics. It's not just, you know, what rate of return do I need to be okay for the rest of my life? It's how can you have the highest quality retirement based on your personality? There are engineers, there are musicians. I would suggest to you that an engineer and an artist have very different needs and personalities. Not always, but most of the time. You better have a financial advisor where if that engineer is married to that artist, they can work through those differences and produce a financial plan that satisfies both personalities. And that is, that's the art and the science of giving people financial advice. It's not just picking investments. So many folks think it's just picking investments. It is not. You're a counselor, you're a coach, you're someone that uses the investments because they're the tools of financial security. But setting those goals, walking through crises that will happen in retirement, whether it's family or um, you know other situations that come up, that's what a good financial advisor, um, that's where they really earn their keep. We're talking about moving goalposts and people changing what they've said they're going to do or what they want to do from a financial planning standpoint. I have to imagine that there are plenty of people out there who have listened to you for years, a decade or more here on the radio and say, you know what, I need to call that Joel Johnson fella. He seems pretty sharp and they just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, what can you say to those folks who need to just make the call? Well, if you're like a lot of people out there, it took many of our clients a long time to make that call. And, you know, most of them wish that they would have made that call a lot earlier. It, it, there's no time like the present to get your financial house in order or to make sure through a second opinion that your financial house is in order. And we talked earlier, but you've done the hard part. You've saved the money. You've made the sacrifices. People that are not financially responsible don't listen to programs like this. So I, I know who you are and, and I know what you're, for the most part, I mean, obviously I'm making some assumptions, but, but I know what people that listen to this program are, are like and what their values are and, and how they've sacrificed. Because again, Financially irresponsible people don't listen to 
financial advice program. So pick up the phone, give us a call. Like so many others that listened for a while and gave us a call, you'll be glad you did. You'll get a financial plan. We call it the money map. It's a beautiful map that maps out your financial future, shows you exactly where you are now. And then based on where you tell us you want to go, it gives you that that outlook into the future to make sure you're going to have a great retirement. But it's not going to happen if you don't pick up the phone and give us a call. Set up a time to come in. There's no charge. We will help you in any way that we can. That is my promise to you. So give us a call. Call that number 1-800-705-1232. You can also text, leave your first and last name, and we'll get back to you and set up a time to visit. It's one 800 Seven zero five one two three two. You can call or you can text that number, whichever you prefer. 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. Stop procrastinating. Reach out now and get your Money Map Retirement Review from the team at Johnson Brunetti. Once again, that number, 800-705-1232. Thanks so much for tuning in to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. We'll talk with you next week. Same time, same place. Have a great one. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.